Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey everybody, welcome back. So, Peter, what's new and exciting? Well, I have been walking with my weighted pack and by carrying my miniature dachshund, I guess. Mm-hmm. He doesn't walk very much at the moment, but we've been trying to get him used to the idea of going on expeditions. So, Yeah, he's been enjoying his little backpack and doing doing pretty good. Yeah. Can't wait for the day where he can actually have his own little mini backpack. I don't know that I'm he really will ever have that, but he's... I think he's got he'll he'll do it. Don't it's know what kind of capacity he's gonna have, but okay. I gotta say the uh, the heat this week has made me almost start thinking that I miss swimming again. Yep. And I look at the we live right near the Georgian Bay. It's beautiful. It's very clear. It's also very freaking cold. Um, but at a glance, when it's like eighty five degrees out, you look over and you're like, ah, oh, that would be so refreshing right now. I think we should set a target to try and even with our wetsuits. I think it's close enough now. Yeah, um, and actually, today's guest, uh, she and I really dive into. <clears throat> sorry, um, <laughs> the, the whole pool swim, open water swim uh, concept. Uh, we have on Haley Chera, who is the other co-host of the Iron Women podcast, which you might remember I was on their podcast to talk about my uh, Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship. Um, we had Alyssa Gadeski on this podcast, and over on consummateathlete.com, we have her best uh, swim, bike, and run tips. They're both pro Ironman triathletes, and yeah, just, just generally super cool people, and Haley started out as a swimmer, so we talked all about sort of the transition from like pool swim to open water swim, and I tried to get her to uh, admit that the starts to triathlons are ridiculous. Um, one of her first ones actually ended up being Kona, which is bonkers, because it was back when you could qualify for Kona, like Ironman World Championships, by just doing a 70, like qualifying in a 70.3. Mm. So her first like really gnarly swim was Kona. And is that not still a thing? You don't think you could like be the world champion of 70.3 and they wouldn't let you in? I don't think so. No. Maybe like the world champion, but I actually, I think they've separated the two pretty seriously. Hmm. And I remember looking into that when I was in my triathlon days. I feel like having these women on the podcast is very bad for you, Peter. Why? Because it ups the odds that I'm going to, at some point in the near future, say, that's it. We're going back to Iron Man. I mean, I can go to Hawaii. That's fine. I don't plan to do much when I get there. (laughs) (laughs) Just sit there with my miniature dachshund and some sort of drink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Probably water because it will be so hot. Yeah, yeah. Haley and I also have the interesting backgrounds of parent, or well, both of her parents. They're going to say parenting. I was like, whoa. Parenting, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. We do not. We actually, I guess we have that in common and that we're not parents. Um, but no, uh, we both have parents who were in triathlon like back in the early 80s. Right. Um, so we, we sort of compared some notes on what that looked like growing up. I was talking about remembering my dad's uh stationary trainer being set up in the laundry room and i don't think i ever saw him on the bike but the bike was always there and i was always really perplexed by what a stationary trainer was right right 
so it was just like this mystical like statue in the laundry room for most of my life okay well that's good it sounds like uh it'll be interesting i'm i'm excited to see sort of her, the difference in her perspective versus uh we've because we've had her co-host and sort of partner there in, in podcasting on right and they're both tr- professional triathletes yeah it's interesting i would have thought the conversations would end up kind of pretty similar to be honest i was a little nervous for it but we ended up going kind of almost a completely different direction and they're just very different personalities they're both awesome i really enjoyed chatting with both of them and just very different conversations yeah and i think the interesting thing will be if, if people listen to both those those episodes um is just seeing how two people can be pretty similar on paper in a lot like they're both racing elite triathlons still right yep and they're both podcasting yep um and just you know maybe what they're training or their opinions on things are and and, you know they're essentially doing the same thing right and i think that's always the interesting thing with sports is there's so many different approaches to training to lifestyle to nutrition to whatever right so especially when two people are are working together on a podcast it'll be interesting to compare yeah for sure Um, and she and I talk a bunch about she does a bit of coaching and I mean obviously for her you know her whole season is pretty questionable right now I mean whether or not Ironman World Championships will even happen I think actually just early just uh, late last week when this episode's going up Ironman announced that they're actually going to use some virtual racing to qualify for Kona now um, because the odds of Ironman's coming back this summer are quite low. Yeah. Um, and is it February or November or something? It's October. For Kona? Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be a pretty big, I think, race to, to figure out how that works. Uh, luckily for Haley, she really likes riding the stationary trainer, but I don't know that anyone likes riding the stationary trainer as much as would be required for a virtual Ironman I don't even know how they're going to make that work. I haven't really looked into it too much. I mean, they could just use the bike times. Like, it wouldn't be perfect, but I'm pretty sure it's fairly correlated because the time is so much on the bike. And you have to be fit, right? And it's presumed that then you would know how to swim. But Sure, but there's a pretty intense, like, I hate to even say it, but virtual cheating is quite easy. Oh, yeah, I guess. Especially for like amateur slots. I mean, the pros, they'll probably figure out a way to do most of it, like video or some kind of like way to. Just yeah, really that would be maybe that, an but... interesting episode. I don't know. Maybe one of the people like the slow ride folks and stuff might be. We, we could do like a, a virtual cheating expose episode or something and just figure out like what is being done to try and clamp down. Yeah, it's certainly becoming more of an issue in not like not just cycling kind of across the board. New York Times just did a thing about it with on um, cheating or on, on virtual cheating. Yeah. Like in all respects or just in on bicycles? No, like in all respects. There was one. Oh. It wasn't NASCAR, but it was like a driving kind of thing. Mm. And there was some virtual cheating that happened. Hmm. Like in this, you know, in this current situation, it's, you know. Well, I would definitely, if I was a, a kid going to school, I would set up like a loop video like in uh, Mission Impossible or something and just be like me, like taking a drink of water and then putting it down, smiling taking a drink of water you know and just on repeat and then come back at the end of the class or something yeah life hackers actually had some articles on how to do that for your like work meetings where it's you and like 20 other people talking well we had they're they're doing backgrounds on zoom and stuff right so can you not make the background just cover you with like your a picture of you on it Ooh, that's a good one yeah there you go we'll just have to do a whole episode on how to cheat yeah or how not to cheat we'll we'll say (laughs) 
Well, that's how you catch them is you have to know first. Mm -hmm. But anyway, a big thing that Haley and I talked about uh, wasn't virtual racing, but it was this idea of how to, you know, how to pivot what you're doing, how to pivot your athletes and what they're doing and, you know, just how to not stress about the fact that all of your races for the season are, are off the calendar and, you know, also just not let that fitness just completely go by the wayside. Right. And that maybe uh, we have a post coming up around this episode's release as well. Uh, and it's, what is this? This would be like the early June. And so it's going to be right on that topic, actually, just sort of like what a training plan might look like for the different disciplines or the, uh, even sort of limiters as you're pivoting, so to speak, towards sort of like a long general preparation period uh, without racing. So maybe a, a, a com- compendium compendium to this episode yes perfect well with that in mind let's get into it enjoy this episode with Haley chura hi Haley. welcome to the consummate athlete podcast i'm so happy to be here molly thank you for having me it's kind of fun that we like turn the tables since uh you were on my podcast just a couple months ago and it, a couple of months it feels like a couple of years but um, when the world was a completely different place but this time I I get to be the one answering the questions which I prefer actually oh my gosh I'm so excited and we're gonna have to get into talking about your podcast the amazing iron women podcast which I I've loved for a long time so it was like the most exciting thing to be on it because I've been listening to it for ages and I keep saying, like, talking to you guys is it's terrible for me because I, I was like, I'm done with Ironman. I'm done with triathlon. I'm out of it. And now that I've been talking to you and Alyssa, I'm like, so I might do triathlon again. <laughs> oh, that makes me excited. That's that's a that's a big compliment. We did love having you on. And I have uh, recommended that episode and your book to uh, several people since then, which thank you for writing that because. It's, it's a question we get a lot about sponsorship and how do you get a sponsor? And it's, it's not necessarily something you can say in one sentence. So I'm like, here's a, a little like 45 minute preview, a podcast, and then go sit down for a couple hours and read Molly's book and you'll be in a much better position. So thank you. Oh, I love it. Thank you for that. Um, so I was, I was stalking your website as I was getting ready for this. And what I realized is you and I, I wouldn't say I have quite your background, but we both had parents who were super into triathlon, or at least my dad was, my mom wasn't. So, okay, talk to me about like those first first memories of what triathlon was. That's so cool. I think there is a generation of us right now who did kind of luckily grow up with some early adopters of triathlon, and now we are endurance sports athletes ourselves. And so my parents, they did kind of get into that Bud Light series of, um, I think they were like Olympic distance triathlons in the 80s. And uh, and I do remember, mostly I remember my mom's trophies. My mom, I think, was a, a better, well, she is. She's a better <laughs> athlete than my dad. And so she had some trophies. I know that we had like posters framed in our basement from the Bud Light series and some photos of, from races that are just, you know, they're priceless now. They're amazing. I think my mom might have more photos of herself racing than she has of me racing. But um, that's awesome. But it's uh, yeah. I, I think it was very lucky for me to grow up in a household like that because I just assumed. I grew up assuming that that's what you did when you were an adult. You you went for a run. You you know hopped on the bike. You did triathlons. You tried to qualify for age group nationals. Like that was just like what I assumed adults did. And so. It helped 
me make that transition when I got older and to a lifestyle of health and fitness and exercise that I recognized once I did become an adult was not normal. That everyone <laughs> did not have that. And that a lot of adults are struggling with, they didn't have those role models that taught them that sport was, you know, a good lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then they're trying to, uh, you know, train themselves to do something different as an adult. And I think you, people like you and me were so lucky that that was just ingrained at a very young age. Yeah, it's actually funny. So my dad had done triathlon until like literally his last one was like two days before I was born. So there's an amazing photo of my mom with her giant pregnant belly holding up a banner that says hang in there herf. And my dad running by in his speedo. Um, by the way, isn't it hilarious that like the fashion that was like in back in like the early 80s, like heyday of like beginner triathlon is like now kind of coming back around. I love it. <laughs> I love so all the bright colors. I love neon. I know that you are all about the black and the black kits and the subdued colors, but I love 80s, 80s, 90s fashion. I'm like all about the bright so colors good. and the neon and... I'm so happy it's back. Yeah, it's so funny. But I remember it's weird. My dad didn't like he kind of gave it up. But then like, there are weird remnants of it. So like in our laundry room, he had his old Cannondale on an indoor trainer, which I mean, no one had like, I genuinely remember like trying to climb up it when I was 10 and having no idea what it was. <laughs> You're just like, this is a thing I can climb up and like try to sit on and it, just like kind of seeing all of that stuff. I think like then when I turned like 21 or so, it like started to click in my head of like, huh, this could be a cool thing that I could do. And so your thing, I, I believe was you first were like, of course, I'm going to be a triathlete. That's the thing I'm going to do. But then you you kind of didn't go that path. Originally, you went into finance. I did. Well, I I grew up swimming. Swimming was my main sport for most of my life. And I swam at the University of Georgia and which was incredible. But collegiate swimming is especially UGA is very intense. And I was was pretty ready to be done after four years. I mean, I'd been swimming since I was like four years old. And <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I wanted to make a lot of money. That was definitely my goal. And so I had an accounting degree. And that was what I wanted to do. And I actually, um, I started a savings account because I wanted to I wanted to buy Georgia football tickets and I wanted to buy a sports car, like a really nice car. That was what I was saving money for. And I can tell you right now that I, I still drive a 2003 Toyota Corolla and <laughs> I haven't been to a Georgia football game since 2008. So neither of those came true and life does change. And I actually ended up spending that entire savings account, everything that in there on a new bike a couple of years into my triathlon career. So it life does change and priorities change, but I loved working in public accounting. It was, it was, I mean, it was a fun world to be in as a young professional. I was living in Atlanta and I didn't have a lot go else going on. And it was, I have worked with incredible group of coworkers that just made it so much fun. I mean, you don't hear auditing and fun in the same sentence that often, but sometimes I think that if you're around a good group of people, you could be doing any job in the world and it can be enjoyable. So mm. I definitely, um, didn't see myself getting into triathlon at that time. Again, I figured I would eventually, but I didn't think I would, I needed a couple of years to make some money and make some bad decisions and get out of shape. Yeah. And, uh, which I kind of did, but it, a couple weeks into my my new job at this accounting firm, one of the partners, he challenged me to run a marathon. And 
again, I, I had, um, I think I had gotten a $3,000 signing bonus to start that job. And I had spent it all on new clothes because I didn't have really a professional wardrobe and mm -hmm. I had to stay for an entire year. Otherwise I had to pay that back. And I, now my boss is telling me I need to run a marathon. I can't get fired because I can't pay back that money. I already spent it. And, um, so I was like, I better run this marathon. And so he gave me a, a training plan. I think it was just out of runner's world in an Excel spreadsheet as accountants do. And I just followed it. And I ran my first marathon in the fall of 2007. So it was, you know, basically I did a, I think it was like a four month training plan or even less. And he ran it as well. And another partner, and I ended up beating him by one minute. Oh, I love it. And that was, uh, it was definitely the, ch the talk of the office when we got back. And I, I hadn't initially planned to do that. I just felt so good at the half marathon mark that I was like, I'm going ahead. We started together. Our plan was to run <laughs> together because he was kind of like my pseudo coach. And then me being 22 years old and quite, uh, you know, just... Well, I, I, I was a good athlete. I knew that. And so I was like, I feel so good. Let me go ahead. And I blew up. I mean, I definitely blew up. <laughs> I was not totally properly trained for that. But I, I do remember crossing that finish line and hearing them call his name that he was running into the stadium. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and um, anyway, he challenged me to a rematch. And the rematch was at a local half Ironman. And Ooh. so... Again, he knew I was a very good swimmer and I was, I was like kind of uncertain if we should do a rematch for something that involves swimming because yeah. that was sort of my forte. And, um, but this is what my boss said to do again. I, I need this job. It's, and, um, and so I, I did not train well for that, that race. <laughs> I, um, I think I was swimming eight times a week, biking once a week and running once a week. Like I was basically just, I loved swimming and I had a really good swimming group in Atlanta at the time with the Dynamo masters. And so that was what I was doing. And so you can imagine how that race went. I was first out of the water, men and women by quite a bit. And then I watched like the, you know, guys on fast bikes, fast looking bikes pass me. And then it was, you know, not quite as nice looking bikes passing me. And then it was like, people on beach cruisers passing me and I, I was like is anyone back there but and it was miserably hot I started walking at the end of the um the parking lot the transition parking lot on the run but I um I finished the race my boss did not and nice. so I won that challenge we did not have we he he just like like gave that to me after that. He, he decided that his, his arena was accounting and I could have the account good at sports uh, title. But uh, it was, uh, it was one of those things where I definitely realized that if I trained, I could probably be better at that. And I enjoyed the environment. I enjoyed even the walking and blistering hot South Georgia and, um, and the community of it. And it was a lot of fun. So after that, I did kind of do a better job of seeking out a triathlon community and learning from people on how to properly train and finding a coach and, and then things really snowballed from there. But <laughs> I know you never know. You could take an accounting job and end up a professional triathlete. Okay. So that's actually one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know you've had a lot of people on your podcast and I've now talked to a bunch of women. What is it with women in finance who then go and become either triathletes or pro cyclists? What is this connection? 
That is a bizarre thing because you're right. We have talked to quite a few uh, women who are accountants who are in finance and maybe it is like an, I do think triathlon appeals to people who like like logistically hard things and because it is hard, like there's so many moving pieces and so much gear and so much data and you have to remember to charge so many different gadgets. And I think that that is sort of also what finance can be sometimes like it's like data and just making spreadsheets and logging things and that you get rewarded for that. And, and then also probably it's a release. So a lot of finance jobs are very like computer based and they are, you're working in a cubicle and maybe you're talking to people, but you're not as social. And then it's quite fun to then go to a race and have like this overflow of like humans and, um, and nature and it's totally different. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's, you know, there's, it does appeal to, I think people who can handle logistics and then people who just want something totally different than office life. Mm -hmm. Now, data wise though, are you like a super numbers oriented person when it comes to data or, cause I find it's also like split in two camps where it's like, there are some people in finance who do triathlon, but it's like, they don't want to even think about numbers and that's like their like time off from it. And then there's the ones that are like, here's my 800 spreadsheets and uh, I can quote you like every single power test I've ever done, etc. So where do you fall on that spectrum? For me personally, I, I am a data person. I, I rarely do a workout without, um, you know, without looking at a power meter, my heart rate monitor. However, I will say I'm very, very kind to myself and I don't always look at it during, you know, runs or during rides, but mostly I do it to keep myself from going too hard or from do overdoing it. Mm -hmm. I actually, um, uh, especially with heart rate and now I understand a little, I I'm better now at 12 years into the sport at, at, you know, knowing myself and I can do a lot more in perceived exertion, but it's also because I'm honestly not always the best at logging my workouts for my coach. And so having auto upload is like one of the best things for yeah. me just because then it's up there. He knows that kind of thing. Um, and then I go back and usually I go back and I add things, but I shouldn't say that cause I'm like always on my own athletes be like, log, 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 tell me, you know, perceived exertion, all that. And then I'm not always, I'm like, do what I say, not what I do. But, um, so I, uh, and I think it also comes from growing up as a swimmer in swimming. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of numbers. Yeah. You're always counting. You're counting your strokes. You're counting the laps. You're counting, you know, the tiles on the bottom of the pool. Like you are counting everything. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's also helped me. I don't get too attached to the numbers. I like them as a, as a point of reference, but I know I'm never going to swim as fast as I used to. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't bother me when I have necessarily like, so quote unquote bad numbers. It's just like, okay, that's, that's just the information and we'll work from here to maybe better, or maybe this is where I am now and let's try to maintain, or maybe I need to more rest, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I think I have a healthy relationship with data. And as a coach, I do encourage my athletes to, you know, to, to not get too wrapped up in the numbers and to be able to do stuff off of perceived exertion as well, because uh, I think that in the case of a race, if your power meter doesn't work or your heart rate monitor isn't working, you need to be able to still race. And, yes. and that, that can be a big, big issue some, for some people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to hear about how you ended up transitioning between accountant and pro triathlete. But first, since you mentioned the swimming, now I'm curious, um, 
Can you talk through the difference now between swimming, like, on a swim team for Georgia and then the Ironman open water swim? Because I think a lot of people don't really understand the difference when it comes to, like, what pool training looks like versus, like, how it feels to suddenly get into your first uh, Ironman swim. Yeah, it's quite different. I mean, swimming at the University of Georgia, all I could do was swim. I mean, I did not run. I did not bike. You don't do anything else. You do a lot of strength work, but um, it's very intense and it's it's very high intensity. And I also, I was a 200 backstroker and 400 IMer. I very rarely swam freestyle. I was a decent freestyler and I did swim the 500 free a little bit my last two years, but mostly I did backstroke. I did a ton of backstroke and that is very different. Um, and it's also swimming is a very, for how short the races are, we do a lot of training. Yeah. And so it's many, many, many hours, which I think does lead into endurance sport. I swim way, way less now, way less and way more freestyle. And that was sort of the appeal of triathlon when I first started back swimming was Hey, I get to do freestyle now because I never got to do freestyle. <laughs> I mean, I did everything backstroke and, uh, you do a lot of underwaters and you don't get to breathe ever when you're a backstroker, except for like, you know, it's just, that's what you do. And I was like, I am going to breathe every single stroke for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, this is amazing. So, um, so that's, I think that, um, for triathlon, you have to look at the percentage of, of the race that, that is the swim is less. Mm -hmm. And so naturally you are going to swim less me with a swimming background. I really needed to spend my time. There's only so many hours in the day biking and running. Yeah. And so I probably even swim less than a lot of pro triathletes just because that's just not the best use of my time. My swim is never going to get better than when it was when I was swimming 20 hours a week. Right. And so, um, I, I do more nowadays, like, less volume and I actually still do quite a bit of speed work swimming just because I think it's a it's a lower impact way to do some of that high-end aerobic exercise so mm -hmm. and I also just like I dislike it and this is why I have a coach because if it was just <laughs> me I would probably never do like fast 50s because that's just not where my strength ever was but it's good to have someone to tell you to do that but um I would do like 400s all day long. I love that. So I, I also wonder if I maybe I should have been like a miler in the pool and not been doing a 200 backstroke. But um, but it is funny to think that when I was a swimmer, like two and four minute races felt so long. Mm -hmm. And now I do like nine hour races and that's mm -hmm. just crazy to me. But um, but yeah, the, I don't I swim all in the pool mostly. I mean, I, once it gets warm enough here, I might go do some open water swimming since our pool isn't open yet. But I love pool swimming. Again, I love the, how it's measurable and mm -hmm. um, open water swimming can be nice occasionally, but for the most part for a good workout, I like the pool, but it's for people who don't have that kind of swimming background, I think it is a lot of swimming is consistency and unfortunately it takes a long time to make small gains in the swim. And sometimes the gains you make are actually just coming out of the water less tired mm -hmm. so that when you get on the bike, you're less tired. So it might not be a actually faster swim time, but you might be a better swimmer, a more efficient swimmer, and then your bike and your run time are faster because of that. So yeah. it's, it's a hard one. I, I do, I do thank my parents quite frequently now for getting me into swimming as a kid 
so that I'm not learning to swim as an adult. And I have a lot of respect for people who are learning to swim as an adult because it is hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Peter, actually, like the reason he signed up for Ironman a couple of years ago in the first place was because he didn't really swim as a kid and like needed to like learn how to swim. And he's like, well, that's one way I'm going to have to learn. And he did. I'm on the flip side. Like I'm probably the, op- well, yeah, I'm kind of the opposite of you. I hate, well, no, actually, I guess we're the same. I hate speed work with a burning passion when it comes to swimming. So like I will go in the pool and I will swim an hour and that is my uh-huh. workout. I will not stop. I will just go for an hour and then I am done. Um, and looking back, I'm like, oh man, I probably should have maybe done some kind of training at all. With <laughs> it does help. It helps to have some structure and to mix it up. I and mean, we've talked to Olympic open water swimmers and they they are doing intervals and they are um, you know doing fast 100s sometimes mm-hmm. because it does it does help with uh, that swimming and it also helps to like keep it more fun. You get to break on the wall and hopefully you have someone to chat with um, when we're not in the time of social distancing. Yeah, you right. can, uh, that's what one of my old coaches, Maria Thrash at Dino Masters. She's she'd she'd get on me about my words to yards ratio. <laughs> she's like, it's getting a little too heavy on the chatting today. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I mean, okay, on the note of open water swimming, how what I I'm gonna, I was gonna say how was your first half Ironman, but it sounds like that one you just like took off like a shot. Um, how was the first time you ended up in like a bunch of people with the kicking and the the punching and the grabbing? Yeah, so I think one of the first times I probably had that experience was my first Ironman, which was Kona in 2009. And That's a first Ironman, yep. Yeah. yeah, that was back when you could still qualify in a half Ironman. And my very good friend, Betty Janelle, she had qualified. And she was someone who basically really got me to get on the bike and taught me. I mean, she was, you'll love this part. She she said to me one day when we were out riding, and she's like, Haley, you've really got to go to REI and get some bike shorts. you got to yes. quit riding and quit riding and run shorts because I just didn't know, right? I just No one tells run you. When you're a triathlete, no one tells you. I know that's, that's the other one. I'm like, read Molly's book. But, um, <laughs> so I, uh, she qualified and we were training partners and I had hired her coach who is Matthew Rose at Dynamo Multisport, who is still my coach to this day, but she qualified for Hawaii. So I wanted to qualify for Hawaii. So I qualified in the half, but we were both good swimmers. So it was nice that before that start, I got to, you know, be out there with Betty and which made it not as bad. But I do remember when that cannon goes off. And you're in that mass start, because this was 2009, back when there was a mass men, women. The pros might have had, like, a little bit of a head start, but it was basically everyone together. Mm-hmm. And I thought I might die. Mm-hmm. Like, that actually was a shock to my system for being a strong swimmer. And those first five minutes, I was like, I'm going to die. Like, people are swimming over you. It's so aggressive. Like, so aggressive. And, um, and then it, luckily I was able to get through it and things thinned out. So it wasn't as bad, but yeah, I can, I can see why it's terrifying for, for people who don't have a good swim background. And, and I've had a couple times in open water when it was very choppy and, or wavy. And I like that usually because I do like, you know, if it's hard for me, it's probably really hard for my competitors, mm-hmm. but Mother nature is no, no, nothing to compete with. And there have been a couple of times when I've gotten a little nervous in certain swims. And I'm like, if I'm getting nervous, like, again, I can only imagine what other people are. And, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why I think for 
race directors when they cancel the swim, I'm usually like, it's usually a good, good plan because yeah. water is not something you mess around with open water. Like you don't, you don't, you, you abide by those red flag warnings and, um, and definitely don't mess around no matter how strong of a swimmer you are. It's terrifying. I think it's actually a rational fear. I mean, it's it a is. rational respect. It's a rational respect for open water. And, and I do, I love that there are pool triathlons that mm-hmm. happen because I think that that is something that keeps people from doing triathlon and it can be such a great lifestyle sport. And so I do encourage people to do pool triathlons and it's start, just as yeah. much of a triathlon as anything in open water. And, and hopefully, you know, sometimes Sometime you maybe you can get an experience in open water when it is just like that beautiful clear water and you can see everything and it's just like you know the sunbeams coming down and it's early morning and you look back at everyone you know cheering on the sidelines and it's then it's really special so yes. hopefully you get one of those moments when uh, to help offset the the scary ones yeah and I've definitely since then have had those but yeah the first few I did in New Jersey we don't really have a whole lot of like clear crystal clear beautiful water so it's pretty much all of like that you put the arm down and your hand disappears um, I remember the New York's uh, yeah New York City triathlon they actually have to like shower you with like chlorinated water as you get out of the Hudson because it's so gross so you literally like run under like a shower of like bleach. Oh my goodness. So yeah, I did a lot of really gross triathlons to get started, but I've had a couple of really beautiful ones. So yeah, it's, you get used to it. Hey Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do? Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big, crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, 100 miler, something like Dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride. And all these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our, in our busy lives, right? So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, And sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I I coach and I build training plans and, you know, that's, that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case. And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in in chatting with you? You're on the consummate athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. Searching for the stories outside of cycling, but still inside cycling? The Gravelot is a weekly interview series where we talk about our shared experiences in the cycling community and talk with people that we think you guys might be interested in. Absolutely. And the Gravelot is actually not always about gravel, but it is the place that is your local trailhead. It could be the meetup parking lot where you meet your friends. Or the post-ride watering hole. It's really the place where you sit down, share your stories, and talk about life. Yeah, and dive into the things that really matter to you on two wheels or beyond. The Gravelot has brand new episodes every single Thursday morning, along with a bi-weekly editorial column every other Tuesday. So check out the show, check out the beeline, and join the conversation and find out all you need to know about The Gravelot at thegravelot.com. How did you end up deciding to quit what was clearly a lucrative career 
to become a pro triathlete because like let's be honest pro triathletes like pro runners and pro cyclists often are not making the big bucks definitely not so it was uh in 20 12, I, I had this amazing season and as an age grouper and I was on the podium at both the 70.3 worlds and Kona in my age group. I won the U S age group national championship and at Olympic distance. And, and I just, I think going into that year, my coach and I had talked about, you know, it's probably now or never as far as racing pro. And I was, I think 26 at the time. And so I, I did not intend to quit my accounting job for at least a year because I just I was saving money. So four years earlier, I had actually talked to Alyssa's coach, my co my podcast co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Her coach is Hillary Biscay, who at the time was a pro triathlete. And Hillary had told me four years before that to to start saving money for in case I ever did one. <laughs> so I had, you know, this is what I'm very good at. I'm very good at saving money and then spending it all. So I, um, I had, you know, after I paid for my bike and everything, I had, um, started a savings account for if I ever went pro and I, you know, it was one of those, I'm again, an accountant. So it's like coming out of my paycheck before I even see it kind of thing. And, um, and so I did not, I, it was not big enough to really quit my job, but in, I raced my first rate. My first pro race was Ironman Arizona in 2012, and I finished seventh. and And I was still working at the time, and it was, um, you know, it was it was great. I'm and I made like I think $1,500, which was it paid for my trip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, I and then tax season happened, and I didn't really race much during tax season, and and it was, I I just realized that. I couldn't do both. I got promoted to manager, which was amazing for accounting. And it was just, I wasn't doing, I wasn't really doing a great job at either. And mm -hmm. I realized that I could either, I could probably be a, an accountant when I was 80 and I will need to be now, but <laughs> I will still be working forever. But I probably couldn't be a professional triathlete at 80. And so one of the things had, had more of a timeline than the other. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I did go in and I talked to my boss and the same partner who had encouraged me to run that first marathon. And I was like, Ugh, what have I done? Oh no. I scheduled this meeting and I walked in and he was like, you're quitting, aren't you? And I was like, Yes. I mean, so it wasn't a big surprise. Everyone knew. I mean, it wasn't, again, luckily I worked for a firm that they really embraced my, my rise through triathlon and they celebrated it and they were happy for me. And, and I also, he kind of gave me a safety net. He was like, let's call this like a one year leave of absence. You know, like if you want to come back, you can come back. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that because whether it was true or not, like it did give me a sense of like, I haven't burnt any bridges. I'm in a good spot. Like I have a job if this doesn't work out. And so it was, it was harder than I expected though. I mean, I was like crying, I think before that meeting in my office. And, um, and that was the other thing I had finally gotten in office, but no. actually, I actually preferred the cubicle, which I know is crazy, but as you can tell, I'm very chatty and no one chats with you when you have an office. <laughs> But, um, so any, it was just, it was really hard for me. Cause I just, I saw myself as an accountant. Like that was, that was me. And it was when you tell people you're an accountant, 
they're like, wow, you're an upstanding citizen. Like you have a future, you have a career, you take care of yourself. And when you tell your, tell people you're a professional triathlete, they're like, that's sweet. Do you still live with your parents? You know, like it's, it's a hard thing. And even you probably know as a coach, I as a podcaster, all of those are podcast kind of like, writer, coach. Yep. I have a cousin shoot. who's an accountant. So, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's wild. Right. And so, um, but one really kind of neat thing that happened was, so I, I quit my job on a Thursday and on Sunday, that Sunday I raced my uh, 70.3, which was my second pro race at Texas. And I was an emotional mess at that point, but, and so I finished 10th, which was okay. But then two weeks after that, I actually raised new Orleans 70.3 and I won. And it was such a shock to me. It was a shock to everyone. And, and I think that that I, I probably needed that because I was like questioning, like, did I do the right thing? And that did give me a little push that, Hey, this is cool. Like you just got that experience. And, and then after that, I was able to travel to Ironman Brazil. And that's something I never could have done with a regular job was just, I mean, you can, but it's hard to get the vacation days to just be like, Hey, peace out. I'm going to Brazil for a week and a half. And, um, and I remember sitting in Brazil and I was, I was at dinner and I was like, okay, this is worth it at this moment. Like if all this kind of goes to hell, like this has been worth it. You've had this experience. You were in Brazil. I am not a wanderlust kind of person. I haven't (laughs) traveled a lot in my life. And, and I was really proud of myself in that moment. And so I remind myself now, you know, six years later or seven years later that, you know, remember those moments and those great moments that you've had. And yes, you would have more money if you followed that other path and more financial stability. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I would have gotten, you know, some things would have gone, things can always go bad, but you, these experiences that I've had have, have really shaped me as a person and I've grown so much. And that's something I can't necessarily place a monetary value on. And again, I, I believe in myself that if I take care of my body and my health, I can still be an accountant at 80 and then I will still be able to put food on my table and, um, you know, and keep a roof over my head and I'll take care of myself. It's just a different, it's a different path at life and it's hard, but, Mm -hmm. and I have hard days when I definitely am like, what was I thinking? (laughs) But, um, but for the most part, there's more good days than bad. Yeah. Now, when you, when you did quit the accounting job, did you ever have a struggle with like, suddenly you have 40 plus hours extra per week to train. And I know a lot of pros who've gone from like being full-time something to then like going all in on like their sport career can kind of get in trouble with that extra time almost. I was so lucky to have my coach again, Matthew Rose, like he, he kept me kind of grounded, especially those first couple of months because it's so uncomfortable. And I, I can, I can see it sometimes in my athletes recently with this pandemic where people have this extra time and they want to throw extra training into there. And again, I was the same way. I was 26, 27 years old. And I was like, no, I, now I need to be doing four hour rides every single day Mm -hmm. and rerunning a marathon every weekend, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I don't know, I mean, exactly where he has his foresight, but he is a great coach and he was very, he, he just kept me grounded and kept me patient and was like, no, what you need more is more sleep. Like, yes, we're going to do another round of intervals, but like, we're not going to do double just because you have double the time. Right. Like, but what you need to do is take better care of yourself. And I struggled a lot that first year. Cause I felt like I was like, I'm lazy. I have all this time. And, but then what happens, you know, I was, a, I did race more than I did before. And 
it's so bizarre because eventually it does catch up to you. And by the end of 2013, I was so tired. Yeah. And um, and so it was a fascinating lesson. I'm glad I learned it early. And I learned it kind of again this uh, past year when I I kind of switched focus a little bit and ran to running. And I trained for the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. And running is such fewer hours than triathlon. Like the training is. Mm -hmm. But it's exhausting. But the first couple of weeks I'd look at my schedule and I'm like, Matthew, like this is half of what I should be doing. I should be doing so much more and I'm not tired at all. This feels easy. And of course the first week it feels easy, mm -hmm. but why week eight, I'm like, Oh my God, please make it stop. Like how can <laughs> 10 hours of training hurt so bad? Why do I need to sleep like 18 hours a day? Yeah. And so I'm thankful to have good guidance and I hope I can do that for my athletes as a coach because it's, it's not about right now all the time. It's about further down the road. And, and so luckily I have not had any, any training related injuries and I give my coach a lot of credit for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, so speaking to that exact point of like, we're really having to look down the road right now. How are you handling right now? I mean, race season is pretty much, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I don't want to say gone because that's too, too depressing, but it's definitely like off for the foreseeable future. Right. I ran in the U.S. Olympic marathon trials on February 29th. So, and that was the most incredible race experience in my whole yeah. life. There were like 200,000 people cheering on the side. I mean, it was just incredible. It was deafening. It was so cool. And I got 305th, I think 304th. So I was not about to win. I was not about to make the Olympic team. I didn't even run a PR, but I just had the most incredible time. Again, I, I lived in Atlanta. I don't live in Atlanta now, but I lived there for 10 years. It was in Atlanta. It was just such a special race for me for so many reasons. They had the biggest women's field ever. So and cool. it was so cool. I mean, the Atlanta track club just pulled off the most incredible race experience. And and then the world completely changed yeah. right after that. And we went to from the biggest crowds of my life to complete isolation. And luckily for me, I, I had that very, very fulfilling race experience right before all this happened. And I had planned to take a break and I hadn't really planned to race until June anyway for triathlon because I had cut back so much of my swimming and my cycling to focus on running because to qualify for those Olympic trials, I, I had to run a, I ran a 243 marathon at California international marathon last December. Oof. And that was a big ask for me. That was, it required a lot of focus. And so it was not something I could just do while doing full triathlon training. Mm -hmm. So it, I had actually like focused on that for a couple months and um, I'm so glad I did. It was the most incredible experience, but I knew it would take a little bit of time for me to build back. So I'm kind of in a lucky position where I had planned to take time to build back anyway. And this has given me that time. And I... I, I mean, I think I've handled it okay. I've definitely had my good days and my bad days, I think like most people. And there was a time in there when it was snowing here in Bozeman and cause I'm in Montana now and it was just so cold and I was really felt so alone. And, you know, even though they have like way overbooked on zoom calls and whatnot, it's just different, you know, and I missed the social that I got from the pool and I missed the social that I would even get just seeing people I know when I'm out running and, or riding with people. And, but you know, the weather got better. The days have gotten longer. I, uh, I have, you know, seen people at a social distance. Now mm -hmm. people are more people are out and the, 
I think, and things have gotten better. So I'm definitely, um, you know, I think I'm handling it okay. And I, uh, so in 2015, I had a car while I was on a training ride and that injury, and it was three weeks before the world championship in Kona. I was in the best shape of my life. I still don't know if I've ever quite gotten to that cycling shape since then. And that injury just like totally changed me so much and that experience. And I, I went a year and a half without real, you know, I went a year with no races and I was super patient again. I get my, and I came back stronger and my best, a lot of my best races have been since then. And so I'm like, I've kind of done this before I've taken a year of no racing and saw how being patient and not trying to worry about when your next race is and not being so, so caught up in that can pay off. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I feel like I kind of have done this before, I guess. I mean, not exactly. Obviously a pandemic is quite, quite. Yeah. Like a little different, but it's, um, but yeah, but breaks there can, you know, there can be some good, good things that come out of breaks as long as you can keep yourself healthy and, and mentally healthy and physically healthy. Yeah. So have, have you gone back to like base training or what have you kind of decided to do training wise to, to stay in that like healthy, but building shape? I definitely have focused more on the bike. That's been my biggest focus since I kind of started back mid March and I'm someone who loves riding the trainer. I, I, again, since that crash and I just, I'm a risk adverse person. I love it. Long, long event right now that's not where I am so I love the trainer I can sit on the trainer forever I have a really good setup in my garage so I have been able to definitely build up bike fitness because that was something that again I had kind of let slide when I was focusing more on running and and so this has been a good opportunity for me to just be and be really consistent with my cycling you know a little bit each day I think can add up to a lot so I haven't done anything crazy long I think my longest ride has been like two and a half hours okay but um but I've been a lot more consistent and it, it's shocking when you take kind of six months off of like outside of, I was only riding for recovery. I mean, you lose some stuff. So I get back on and I do my first interval session and I'm like 50 Watts below what I used to be. And I'm like, Oh man, I might never come back. And then you watch like week after week, things get a little bit better. And I think I'm actually getting closer to, you know, pre break Watts, which is exciting. And, and so I, my total volume is much less than what I would be doing at, you know, what I was doing at this time last year. But I don't know if I'd be doing that much different if there wasn't a pandemic. Cause again, I hadn't planned to race until the end of June anyway, because again, I just know myself, I need to give myself plenty of time mm-hmm. and I don't like going into races unprepared. And that's just, that's just me and how I'm good at how I work mentally and where I am in my career, I don't feel like I need to just like be on a start line and I can do a lot of good outside of races for my sponsors. And so, um, again, it's, so it's been pretty, I mean, taking out swimming gives you a lot of extra time and I've been doing a lot more strength than normal. Um, I do a lot of strength anyway, like 15 to 20 minute maintenance sessions just for, I, I definitely, after coming back, really, 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 in, you know, definitely incorporate those, but, uh, more stretch cords, which are not my favorite. They're not anyone's favorite as a replacement for swimming and a lot more core work, but it's sort of just, uh, you know what we have to do right now. And our pool here in Bozeman might be opening who knows in the next couple of weeks and with some different protocols and I'll, I'll abide by that and I'll ease back slowly. But 
you know, it's like you, I think you said it before, it's totally out of our control. And I am just so thankful to be healthy. And I have a belief that things will come back. And if they don't, I have a nice safety net and an accounting career. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I, it's funny, when the pool's closed here, suddenly I got this insane urge to swim, which I have not had in forever. But there's something about like not being able to that just like, I'm like, I need to get in the water. I need to get in the water. Peter's like, we could swim outside. I'm like, no, that sounds terrible. It's very cold. Like, it's, yeah. it's warming up in Canada, but like, I would not say the water is like swimmable yet. It's great active recovery. If you can get in and just swim for like 20 minutes after a hard bike ride or a hard run, I mean, your body will thank you. So hopefully you can, uh, either the water warms up outside or your pool is open and we get a chance. I, I highly recommend it as active recovery for, for every, anyone who mm -hmm. has access to a pool. No, I love it. I always say like swimming to me feels like almost like a full body massage, like having the weight of the water, just like pressing in for, yes. for like an hour or so. I, I love it. So I'll, I'll get back in when, when maybe it's like a titch warmer, although it's like 95 degrees out right now here. So maybe I'll wow. go in even when it's cold. Um, yeah. So, um, oh, I wanted to ask about this because you guys have been putting out a ton of content on the Iron Woman podcast lately. So talk about like, A, just like, how did you end up doing that as well? And then B, like, is that like part of what's keeping you kind of like on track right now? Like without having, you know, events and stuff on the horizon? Has that made it easier? I, <laughs> it's so funny that that kind of a question, because I definitely, I was a little, you know, when I think uh, when all this uh, pandemic stuff started happening, I definitely felt very non-essential and as a very non-essential worker where I'm like, I'm a professional athlete. There are no races. And even as a coach, I, I feel a little more essential as a coach because now I think I have a better understanding of, of the mental health part and the fitness part that is important now. And, and me as a person, I need structure to get myself to work out. Like I need a coach. And so I'm like, there, are, I'm not the only person in the world who needs that. So even without races, but, um, but I definitely was like searching for like, what can I do? And I just also had questions. And I, I think through podcasting for almost three years now, I have a bit of a, a platform and a bit of a network. And the first mini episode I did, I just, it was one of those random things where I was like, you know what? I want to talk to a doctor. Do I know any doctors who are triathletes and who are women? And I put out like a call on Instagram and immediately like got two responses. And I was like, ah, and I was like, when can you do an interview? And one woman's like in 15 minutes. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, great. And so I basically like set things up, did it in 15 minutes, edited it myself. And I was, we were originally going to release that as part of our normal Thursday podcast. And, and then one of the, the women on the, um, who we interviewed, she actually was like, I think this information is going to be pretty obsolete by Thursday. Cause I think it was Sunday when we recorded it. And that was when things were moving really fast in yeah. the early days of the, of the lockdown. And, and so she's like, so I was like, okay, how about I just put it out as a mini episode on Monday? And so that was what happened. And then it kind of was like pretty well received. And I, I thought it was just gonna be one and done. And then I had all these other ideas. I was like, you know what? We should talk to a race director. I should talk to a, um, you know, a swim coach and find out, I, I'm curious, what should I be doing right now when all the pools yeah. are closed? So everyone else must be curious as well. And, and one of the most fascinating things was that I, I have this pretty narrow, you know, we have a pretty narrow, uh, you, I guess that we're trying to, 
our mission is like increasing uh, media for professional female athletes or, or endurance athletes, not always professionals. But so even when I'm trying to find these experts, these doctors, these vets, these swim coaches, I'm like, okay, who's a woman and also a endurance athlete. And I can find someone every single time, every single time without mm-hmm. even thinking that hard. It's like incredible. And these, it's also just taught me how many incredible women are in endurance sports who are also experts in their field. And, and so I think that's kind of one thing that has kept me going was I was like, I have another idea. Okay, let's put it out there. Let's get this voice out there. And, and, and these women are so eager. And especially when the mini episodes are so short, you know, it's 15 minutes usually. And, um, and that's also, that also kind of reflected my current attention span. I definitely haven't been listening to as many podcasts as normal just because I'm not commuting and right. I'm not necessarily even going for as long of runs. And again, I'm like, okay, if I have these questions, if this is my current lifestyle, I'm not the only one in the world who's like that. So what's a dog walk It's like 20 minutes. So can we like put a 20 minute episode out and have I, it's not sustainable. You know, I don't think I can continue to do two episodes a week for, for however long, but for right now, I feel like I am putting a good out there in the world and um, and connecting with more people. And again, it's just been very eye opening for me when, when I look at our mission and, and sometimes it can be, Oh, it's so hard. And then it's actually like, no, 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 these women are incredible. And if you give them a a chance to like share their stories, they're going to have these incredible stories that all of us can listen. And it's insane how many people I'm sure you've learned this too, have never been on a podcast and they're incredible people. They've won races, they've won awards. And you think, oh, there's so many podcasts out right now. Everyone's been on a podcast. And, <laughs> and, but they haven't. Their yeah. stories get missed because the same, you know, sometimes lots of same five to 10 people end up on every single show. And, and it's hard to find those stories. And I, I know you probably have the same thing where it's like, um, you know, it, you have to do a lot of digging and you have to go through people's very not up to date websites. Oh, Sorry, that, yeah. was, that was mine. That was mine. <laughs> My website's not up to date, but, but then you find out very, very incredible stories. So, um, I think I've, I've gone on a bunch of tangents here, I love but it. It, I love it. it's definitely, it's helped me a lot too. just kind of keep some structure to my life and feel a little bit more essential through the, the pandemic and, Um, but it's definitely something that, you know, as training picks up and I don't know exactly how, what kind of form it will take. And, and I hope we don't have a need for it. I hope we don't have a need for more COVID related, uh, related chatter. I mean, I think we're getting tired of it, but, but it is incredible how many different parts of our life it, it affects. And, and sometimes it is nice to know that your dog probably won't give you coronavirus and probably won't get coronavirus. And I'm like, okay, it's kind of nice. And it's cool to know that from two women who are vets, who are also endurance athletes. I'm like, Love it. Hey, that's how I like my news. <laughs> yep. That's fantastic. Um, so before we wrap up, I realize this is going to be a really big question, but best tip for a new Ironman. Oh, best tip. I think, you have to really want to do it. So make sure you really want to do it, like what your reason is for doing it. And and it can be anything. It can be fitness. It can be health. But I think that find a race that excites you. You know, when you are, if you are finding a race or, or something like that, or a, a group, a training group or a coach, 
go with your gut and really find something that really excites you. Don't necessarily do what someone tells you to do. But if you were like, man, I just, this race in, you know, wherever, it just sounds like so much fun. Like that is probably the race you should be doing. And then as far as a training tip, it's consistency. It is doing a little bit day in and day out. And it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, 15 minute runs add up to a lot and one hour bike rides add up to a lot. So I think you don't have to think necessarily that it's going to be a huge, huge commitment, but it probably will. It's going to take a little bit of a lifestyle change more where you just have to be able to do a little bit every day. And, and so to be consistent, like what kind of tools can you use? You can use a community, which can be virtual right now. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, you know, it's, you can text your friend and be like, did you run this morning? And, and you're going to feel really bad if you had to say, no, I didn't run, you know, and, or I missed yesterday or hire a coach. And, um, I think most of us are pretty good at remote coaching these days. So yeah. that's a, a big plus and we have the infrastructure to do that. So I, I think that starting small and being patient, being patient with yourself. I mean, that has been the best advice that I've probably had my entire athletic career is just to be patient and, and not be too worried about the good days and the bad days while you're in them and think of it as a big picture because it's incredible when you start back really, really small. I mean, again, I, my injury, I started back with a one minute run and I didn't know if I'd ever run again. And then yes, it took me four years after that, but I ran my best marathon. So it's just like, sometimes you gotta be patient and, and time goes by fast. I mean, it feels really slow right now when we're navigating a different day every day and it's just so bizarre and we're all home, but it actually does go by fast. And mm -hmm. I can say that I don't have children. I don't have um, anything that necessarily marks the passage of time besides races, but I definitely, I think ha through life experience have, have recognized that and so it's okay to start. It's okay to start small, start with a one minute run and you'll probably, you could be at that Ironman finish line before, before you realize it. It's, it's pretty cool. Oh, I love it. And then where can everyone find you on the interwebs podcast, Instagram, everything. So iron women podcast is the name of our podcast. If you search iron women in your podcast app of choice, you'll probably find it, or you can find it at ironwomenpodcast.com. I host that with Alyssa Gadeski, fellow pro triathlete and we interview women who are endurance athletes and experts in their fields and professional athletes and authors like Molly. And um, we definitely have a really, really good thing going lately, I think, just with our mix of, of, of guests and, um, and then mini episodes. We, I do the mini episodes on my own on Mondays, which are a little shorter and more expert based. And, and then um, I'm on Instagram at Haley Chura 23. I'm on Twitter at Haley Chura. I am not the best at um, social media. I know, I know, Molly. I'm like, <laughs> I need to go read that chapter of your book again. But um, I, I've tried. You're great. Tried. You're great. I'm somewhere on Facebook. Facebook, I don't think my Wi-Fi is strong enough for Facebook, to be honest. There's like too much content. <laughs> and so it just like freezes. But I get on there occasionally. And then um, HaleyChura.com is my very out-of-date website. If you want to hear about my early parts of my career up and through 2014, I think I stopped uh, stopped blogging a little bit. It was when I got when I got hit. I, I, you know, there's not much to talk about. And so and you get out of the practice. But maybe one of these days I'll re reinvigorate the blog. But podcasting, as you can tell, chatting is yeah. probably my medium of choice. So <laughs> definitely if most up to date, you'll find it on there. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat. This has been super fun re-catching up with you in a very different world, but still, still fun to talk to you. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Molly. Now go cuddle that puppy of yours. Oh.
Definitely am. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.